We are starting today, and, uh, and, and I don't know, I, like, I, whenever we have a cool video like that, I feel like I need to have an explosion or something, because I feel like, uh, it's like, wow, and then my voice comes in, you're like, oh, okay, let's go, right? I mean, that's just how, that's just how I feel, maybe, or whatever, but uh, I am excited about our new series called Six Ships, and uh, I'll just be, uh, just be honest, uh, be careful if you try to say that like five times fast. It could get you into trouble. I'm just saying, all right, six ships. Uh, but we're, basically, this is very simple. The premise of this series is we're going to look at six different stories from God's Word in the Bible that deal in some way, shape, or form about a boat or a ship or a floating device of some kind, and, uh, and we're going to have six stories that are centered around that, all right? So I'm really excited about this. Uh, but before we jump into all that, I wanted to mention something that is, is really important and exciting. And uh, we, we talk a lot here at Northridge about the fact that uh, everybody, every single person, man, woman, child, doesn't matter, just like we prayed for little Harris, that we believe that every person is made in the image of God. And that every person has been given gifts and abilities to be used by God. We believe that like there's wholeheartedly, like every fiber of our being, we believe that. And so that's why so often I talk about those things. In fact, we'll get into that a little bit again today. But the reason I bring that up is I wanted to let you know something that is happening with uh, Pastor Chris, Pastor Chris Bickett. She is one of those people that you don't always see in here, and that's because she's taking care of a massive amount of children with lots of energy in the other rooms during this uh, service. And we have a lot of you that volunteer your time in the children's ministry, and so you know this is true. But that's why you don't see Pastor Chris a lot on Sunday mornings from time to time. It's because she's in the children's ministry. But I wanted to let you know something that is going on in, in her life right now. Uh, so she has been working over the last several years uh, toward ordination in our denomination. Uh, she's been working hard at that for several years. She's been officially designated for these last several years as a ministerial student. And all that means, it's a fancy term to say that she is studying to be ordained, okay? To be fully ordained as a pastor in the Wesleyan Church. And so she's been working for the last several years and she's taken, I think... Uh, Paul, you can check on this, or I can, uh, Chris can kind of remind me of this, but I think it's around 24 classes that she's taken up to this point. She has finished all the classes that she needs. It's, it's I think, around 24 or something like that. Maybe, maybe actually a little bit more than that if she took some extra things. But 24 classes, all on topics on the Bible, theology, practical ministry, just all kinds of different classes. And she's been studying uh, these classes for these last several years, these 24 classes. In addition to that, she's also had to do practical ministry, which is not why she's here doing this. She wants to be here doing this, but she also gets credit for it as well. On top of that, then the culminating thing is she has to write a paper answering a whole bunch of theological questions about God and the Bible. And then, this is the, her favorite part, I, I'm lying on that, it's not, but she has to go before a panel of pastors and defend her beliefs that she wrote in that paper to a bunch of pastors. Uh, let me just tell you, that's just crazy. And so, and, and by the way, her husband, Paul, had to go in front of them as well uh, because they're like, okay, we need to know who you're connected with. <laughs> and, and so they, she went through all of that stuff and all that to say, I want you to know that because this is really important because in two weeks from today, literally two Sundays, two evening Sundays from tonight, 
She's going to be up in Rice Lake, and she's going to be culminate. All this culminates in this big ordination service. And she's going to be commissioned to go out in the ways of God in whatever way God calls her to go. She is going to be prayed over. And uh, let me just tell you, it's kind of like graduation, but in a very, very different way and in a really powerful way too. Um, Because you've just probably never experienced something quite like it, to be honest. So the reason I bring that up is I want to ask you to do two things. Number one, consider driving up to Rice Lake in two weeks, okay? Uh, I can tell you that Laura and I are going to be doing that. We'll be here on Sunday morning. We'll preach. We'll do the worship. We're going to be all that. But several of us then are going to hop in right away. We're going to tear everything down, and then we're hightailing it up to Rice Lake. Uh, Chris will be doing the same thing because <laughs> she's going to be serving here in the children's ministry that morning, okay? And, and, and be doing all that stuff. And so then we're going to go up to Rice Lake, but consider going up to Rice Lake because this is something that's very special just to honor her, support her, all that stuff. But I know that a lot of you are not going to be able to go all the way up to Rice Lake for this ordination service. So I wanted to make sure that you, when you see Chris, that you congratulate her and that you mention to her and be praying for her because this is a big deal. Now, some of you might be scared. Does this change anything? Like, is she leaving now? Is she gone? Like, this is great and all, but is she out? Nope, she's still here. <laughs> all right, she believes that God has called them to Northridge. Her and Paul are here. They love this church. And so they're still here, still going to be doing great ministry at Northridge. But I just wanted to let you know that. All right, so kind of keep that on tap. So when you see her come out of the children's ministry, also be sure to thank her for taking such good care of the kids. She does a phenomenal job. Her and Paul both do. So without further ado, let me jump back into the message. So today we start this series called Six Ships. Uh, Be careful how you say it, but six stories that center on a boat or floating device of some kind in God's Word. And today's story comes out of Luke chapter 5. So if you like to follow along, go ahead and get your Bibles out or get your phone out if you like to follow along in your app. A lot of you do that. Um, That's awesome. It'll be on the screen as usual. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to, a little bit different than I normally do, I'm going to just jump right in. I'm not going to give you context. I'm going to start reading, and then we're going to unpack it as we go through it. All right, so Luke chapter 5, we're going to start with verse 1. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He was a great uh, preacher, that's what that says. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. So I'm going to pause there for a moment and kind of give you the context. So Jesus has started his formal ministry. He's preaching on the edge of this freshwater lake. It's called the Sea of Galilee, but it's not a sea. It's just what they called it because it's a huge lake. And so to them, it looked like a sea. But it's a freshwater lake right there in Israel. And he's on the shore of this lake, the Sea of Galilee. And I actually have a map that kind of shows you, if you kind of go to that. Um, the Sea of Galilee is right there. And uh, it's a huge body of water just on the, on the east side of what is today known as Israel. And so he's on the shore of this huge lake. And uh, I have another picture. If you kind of look at the edges of this lake, we have the coastline around this lake. As you can see, it's a huge lake. It's like four times the size of Lake Mendota. Okay, so it's a very, very large lake. And you can see that the terrain, it's very hilly on the edge. So if Jesus is speaking on the edge of this lake, 
It would have been hills kind of going off the lake and up from there. And so he starts preaching to the people that are there, and more and more people start to gather. And, and of course, he doesn't have a microphone, and so he's speaking, and he's trying to speak as loud as he can, but people can't hear him, and so they're starting to press in, and there's, soon there's a hundred, or maybe there's a thousand, I don't know. There's a lot of people, and they're pressing in, pressing in, and Jesus is all of a sudden, he's kind of like, okay, I'm going to fall in the lake, Right? And so Jesus looks around, he sees these two boats, and he hops into one of the boats. He says, hey, Simon, you're, you're the owner. I'm sure he kind of freaked him out that he knew his name, right? It's like, hey, Simon, this is your boat, right? Yeah, okay, cool. It wouldn't have been like, I mean, he's kind of like, what's going on? He said, hey, uh, push the boat off, off the shore just a little bit. I need to preach for a while. Okay, <laughs> right? So he kind of just, he commandeers this boat and he's sitting in the boat and now he's preaching to the people that are on the shoreline. Think like organic version of amphitheater style seating, right? I mean, they're just kind of hanging out on the, on, the, on the hill and they're listening and they're hearing Jesus preach. So that's the context. So you kind of know what's going on. All right, so let's go on. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, again, remember he's in the boat with him, it's his boat, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. Now Simon's response is going to be very important. We're going to come back to this several times today. Okay, what he just said there. We worked hard all last night and we didn't catch a thing. So Jesus is teaching, pushes the boat out, and then he finishes teaching, and then he turns to Simon. And I want us to understand, this kind of probably freaked Simon out. We don't hear this in the scripture, but this probably freaked him out because Jesus is doing this great preaching, and all of a sudden, Jesus is like, okay, Simon, you and I, we're going to hang out for a little bit. Go push the boat out in the middle of the lake. We're going to do some fishing together. <laughs> oh boy, it just got personal for, for Simon. Right? And so, so that's what Jesus says. And I want us to understand that it went from like he's this great teacher to now we're spending like, you know, face-to-face -face time with this rabbi, this Jesus. And he says, push it out in the lake. And so, so it, you know, he does this and Simon has this response. Now through this response, I want to bring up three things. Actually, I would call it three excuses. Three excuses that Simon probably had when Jesus said, hey, I want you to take the boat out into the middle of the lake and we're going to do some fishing. These are three things that Simon probably had to wrestle with in his life. In fact, I know he does, at least for two of them, I know he does because he said as much in his response. But three excuses that he had that I think you and I tend to wrestle with as well when God tells us to do something. All right, so the first excuse is this. It's the physical excuse. The physical excuse. Go back to Simon's response to Jesus. So he says, Simon, oh, and by the way, Simon is also going to become known as Peter. So when I say the word Simon, when I say the name Simon, this is also the disciple Peter. He hasn't become the disciple yet, but he will. So when we say Simon, that's who we're talking about. So Simon, Jesus says, Simon, I want you to go out into the lake. And so Simon, right away, as a fisherman, he has a response to this. Listen to what he says. He says, Master, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. So why is that important? Well, what that tells us is, what does that tell us about his physical state? He's been working all night. This is his job. He's a professional fisherman. That's what he does for a living. And they've been working the night shift. Okay? I don't know about you, but how do you guys feel after being up all night? 
uh, when you hit the morning, right? And by the way, we know Jesus was preaching in the morning because they were cleaning their nets and they're kind of cleaning up from the whole night of work. They're finishing their night shift. And so uh, Simon or Peter and his brother Andrew, who's also in the boat with him, and these two other guys named James and John, that's why there's two boats. They're their kind of business partners. They've been fishing all night. And they're cleaning their nets, and I'm guessing what they're thinking is, I'm ready to be home, I'm ready to go to sleep. All right? That's what, I, that's what I'd be feeling. And so Jesus finishes preaching, and I'm sure, I don't know if Simon is like, you know, if Jesus was just riveting, I'm sure he is, and so they probably stayed awake. But now that Jesus is done preaching, I'm sure that that, that tiredness kind of hit. But Jesus looks at Simon and says, hey, J, uh, Simon, we're going to go out in the lake, and, and we're going to fish. And did you notice Jesus didn't ask him. Did you know that Jesus didn't ask him? Jesus didn't say, hey, Simon, uh, would you like to do some fishing today? I'd love for us to hang out. He didn't ask. He said, Simon, push the boat out. We're going deep water, and we're going to throw the nets in. Like, it wasn't a question. And Simon noticed his response. He said, um, just so you know, Jesus, I don't know if you realize this, but we've been working all night, and we didn't catch a single fish. So, to go out fishing, like, I, I don't know if this was kind of going on his head, but I, I wonder if he's thinking, you know, Jesus, this is awesome. I would love to hang out with you. Now's not a good time. <laughs> Let me ask you this. When God has called you to do something, have you ever been responding to God and said, God, thanks, it's a great idea, not a good time? I know I have. And just so that we're clear, when we respond to God with, it's not a good time, God's not the one that's wrong. If you can kind of connect the dots there. And so Simon, I'm sure, is wrestling with his physical state. He's tired, and Jesus says, hey, we're going to do some fishing. And I'm sure Simon's thinking, this is not a good time to go fishing. <laughs> we just spent all night, and we didn't catch anything. This is crazy. But that brings me to the second excuse that we tend to have. Not only physical tiredness or the wrong timing can throw us off, but the second excuse is the emotional excuse. Go back to Simon's response. What did he say? He said, we worked hard all last night. That tells us that he's physically tired. And then he says, and didn't catch a thing. They, hadn't, they didn't catch a single fish, right? So what does that tell you? That probably tells you that they are a little bit disappointed in their job right now. Wouldn't you say? Okay, just think about this, right? How do you guys feel when you pour everything that you can, all of your time, all of your money, all of your in investment into something, and you're like, great expectations. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be amazing. This project is going to pull off without a hitch, and people are going to love it at work. I'm going to present this to the senior executives, or I'm going to show them what great work I've done, and it's going to be amazing. And you get there, and, and you're at the meeting, and you've spent months on this thing, and they poo-poo it, and they're like, you know what? We're just going to have to scrap it and go to something different. How would you feel at that point? Some of you have felt this. How would you feel? You'd be defeated, wouldn't you? Emotionally, you'd be way down and like, man, I'm not good for anything. That's where Simon and his brother Andrew and James and John, these four fishermen, that's where they're at. Not only are they physically tired, but they didn't catch a single fish. And they're professional fishermen. Like, they're supposed to know what they're doing. They're exhausted, and they have nothing to show for it. So emotionally, they're in the tank. They're just down in the dumps. 
And so Jesus comes in and he says, hey, let's go out and let's do some fishing. <laughs> Are you kidding? Worst timing ever, God. <laughs> like, you picked the worst day. Like, trust me, there are no fish out there. <laughs> and they're thinking, you want us to go fishing. Let me give you an example of how this works for me sometimes. I don't know about you, but I struggle when I'm tired physically, when I'm tired emotionally. I just don't want to give. I just don't. When Laura and I lived in North Dakota, I was a children's pastor there. So I did kind of what Chris Pickett does here. And, uh, and so we had gotten through a particularly, not a hard week, but a very intense um, ministry week. There was a lot of families, as I recall from this week, that, uh, that just needed some things. And so we were in, uh, doing a lot of ministry that week. There was a lot of intense emotional stuff. And, uh, and then we went through Sunday morning, and there was a lot of kids. This is a big church. And so uh, basically it came down to Laura and I were exhausted. And so we get done with church, and we didn't have to tear down that church. That church had a building. So, so it was like, hey, turn the lights off, lock the doors, and we walk out, right? And so we get home, and we have this tiny little house in North Dakota. We had a, this is when we were pretty early on in our marriage. And, uh, and so we had this tiny little house. It was built in 1912 or something like that, 1908. And, uh, and we go back to our house, and we're just exhausted. And so we're like, okay, for the next two, three hours, we're not doing anything. We're going to close the door. It was a nice day, so we should have the door open. Oh, no. Uh-uh. Then people know that we exist. We don't want that. And so we close the door, lock that sucker, and then she hits the chair or the floor or something, I don't know, and I hit the couch. And we're just laying there. And let me just tell you, I'm not a nap person. I don't take naps. I, it's not because I hate them or I'm against them. I just don't. I'm not a nap person. And so when I do nap, it's like three to four times a year, literally. And, but when I do, I know that I've hit the end of everything because I'll just, like, I can't keep my eyes open. I'm out, you know? This was one of those days. And so Laura's already out because she is a nap person. And, and I'm drifting off. Okay? And I'm laying on the couch, and I'm at that state, and you guys probably understand this. I'm at the state where I'm not sure if I'm asleep yet, but I'm really close, or I have just fallen asleep, but I'm just enough conscious that there's still life exists, right? But I'm just at that point. Like, I'm, I'm ready to start drooling on myself. That's where I'm at. Okay, just so that we're clear, like, what mental state I'm in. And I'm just kind of there on the couch, just, you know, out. And at that point, that's when we hear the knock on the door. And my first response was, no! I didn't say it out loud, but in my head and in my heart, I was, uh, I was immediately frustrated. Like, you've got to be kidding me. Right? That, that was my first response. I'm just telling you, in my humanness, that was my first response. My second response was, they don't need to know we're home. <laughs> I kid you not, that is, that's the progression. No! And then, they don't need to know we're home. I'm not going to the door. And I laid there. I kid you not, I just laid there. I was like, I'm not going to the door. Laura didn't wake up yet. Eventually she would, but she didn't wake up yet. I'm like, I'm going to act like we're not home. And by the way, I didn't tell you this, uh, laying on the couch, our house was so small that I could look out and I could see who was at the door. That made it worse, but I could see it. And, and it happened to be a gal that lived by herself. Somebody that, uh, to be honest, I don't think we even knew her name at this point. We, we had had maybe one or two conversations. We did not know her at all. She didn't really know us. We just knew that she lived down the street. And the way that we knew that is we'd bumped into her walking past one time and said hi, and literally that's it. We just knew she lived by herself. That's pretty much all we knew. Didn't even know her name. 
And she's at the door. And so I'm wrestling. I'm on the couch and I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> and I'm wrestling. And then I get this sense. And this was not like guilt that somebody's standing at the door, that she's a, uh, a gal that lives by herself. It wasn't any of that. I wish it was probably, you know, good, but it wasn't. Uh, all of a sudden I get this real sense from God that you better go answer that door. I just, I just like kind of got hammered on me and said, you need to get off the couch. And, and I got the sense that he had put her in, in our, at our doorstep for a reason. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I said no to God <laughs> a few times. And all of this, you understand, is happening within like half a minute, right? All of these thoughts. So finally, I realized, okay, God's calling. It's not good timing. I'm exhausted. I do not want to deal with this. I don't even know what it is. And by the way, start, God started to put it into my heart. She needs something. That's why she's there. And so I knew that she needed something. And I didn't, I didn't want to help. I'm honest. I just, I didn't want to help. And so finally God got a hold of me enough to where I, I wish that because of God's conviction, I jumped off the couch with a smile on my face, threw open the door and said, I am here. I'm the follower of Christ to serve you. <laughs> I can promise you I didn't do that. I barely got my body off of that couch. I literally rolled, slid, slunk, down to the floor and then, you know, got onto my feet and walked to the door. By the time I got to the door, the woman had left our house and actually, you know, the little side of it came up to our house. She's past that and she turned to go back down the street where she came from. And so at this point I had opened the door and I had another insidious evil thought. I thought, she didn't see or hear me open the door. I can close this and we can act like none of this ever happened. I kid you not. I'm just being honest and transparent about where my humanness is. And so I, 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 that's, that's what happened. And so, so I, I, I opened the door and I'm like, and God says, stop it. I don't know if he said that exact, but essentially I got the message. Like, stop being selfish. And so I called out to her. And it's not a mind-blowing thing. I mean, when I tell you, it's like all that for this. <laughs> she just needed to borrow butter. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit bigger than that. But no, but really all, all that happened was she had ordered this fan heater combination thing and she thought that she was just going to be able to order it and pull it out of the box and do it. But when it came, it came in parts. And she didn't have any tools and she had no idea how to put this thing together. She just needed somebody to come with some tools and help her put this thing together. That was it. And I was kind of annoyed at that. <laughs> if I were going to be honest. But at the same time, then I realized God put her at her doorstep for a reason. And actually, that started a relationship with her. It never went real deep, but to where we were able to help her, help her a couple of different times. And I knew that it was what God wanted us to do. And I'm just being really honest with you about all those thoughts because I want you to know the struggle that I sometimes have with my excuses with God. There's a lot of times, guys, a lot of times when God calls me to do something and I don't want to do it. I'm just being honest with you. That's the truth. And what I'm here to tell you is, with these first two excuses, the physical excuse and the emotional excuse, let me just tell you, for the most part with God, because of what he's going to call you to do, there's never going to be a, the right time for you. <laughs> it's not going to be like, this is not a good time, God. No, it, it's probably never going to be a good time. 
but he's going to call you to do it. And my encouragement to you is answer that call, whatever that is. Even if it's somebody knocking on the door when you just fell asleep. Answer the call. If God is calling you to do it, convicting you. All right, let's go to the third excuse. The third one is one that's not spelled out in Scripture, but I think is definitely there because of Simon's response. The third one is the rational excuse. The rational, the mind, the human response. Let me just uh, go back to the phrase one more time. This is what Simon says. He says, Master, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. Now, I want us to catch the context here, okay? Simon is a professional fisherman, right? It's what he's done since he was born. You understand, in Jesus' day, the way that you got a job is you got the same job that your parents have. You realize this, right? There was no, we go to college, I get to choose to be a biotech major or whatever else. That's like, that doesn't exist. You do what your family does. Your family does this, that's what you do, that's what your children are going to do, and your children, 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 children are going to do that. Guess what? We're fishermen. That's what we do. And so Simon or Peter and Andrew and James and John, these four guys, they've been fishing their entire life. That's what they do. They're really good at it. They're professional fishermen. And they have just fished. Every, every fisherman knows in Jesus' day that the best time to catch fish is at night when it's cool and they all come to the surface so that they can actually reach them with their nets that they drag at the surface of the water. They can't get down deep because their nets don't go down deep. And so they know that the only time, the best time to catch fish is at night. And they just spent all night and they didn't catch, how many fish did they catch? You remember? Zero. Great night, right? Clearly the fish aren't there. And now Jesus says, hey, Simon, professional fisherman, here's what we're going to do. I know, heat of the day, fish are probably all gone, but we're going to go out into the deepest part of the lake. Yeah, that's smart. And in the middle of the day, we're going to start fishing. Yeah, this is great. And I'm sure Simon in his head is going, this rabbi knows a lot about God. He doesn't know anything about fishing. You've got to be kidding me, Jesus. We're going to go out fishing now? We just did the best time, the middle of the night, and we caught zero fish. We're not going to catch any now. The rational excuse. Let me ask you this. How do you respond to God when God asks you to go somewhere or to do something that just doesn't make sense? Has God ever done that to you? Asked you to do something that just doesn't make sense? You're thinking, why, why am I doing this? Why does God want me to do this? Why does God want me to go to the door and fix and put together a fan, a heater fan? Right now? Sunday afternoon? Makes no sense. I want to tell you about uh, a couple that I know that some of you will know them. Their names are Bogie and Brenda Bogier. Um, so when I say that name, some of you in here, you know them well. A lot of us in here, most of us in here, don't know them. And, but we should know them. Uh, if you go back to the beginning, before Northridge ever started, Laura and I, are, we live here with our two kids. Tanner was way before Tanner's time. 
Northridge Church doesn't even have a name at this point. We haven't named the church. We haven't started children's ministry yet. I, I don't know if you realize the history, but we started with children's ministry on a Wednesday night. Then we moved up to having monthly services, and then we started weekly services, and now we're up to two services. And so we just continue to do what God wants us to do. But this is before we've named the church. We haven't started children's ministry. Laura and I and Craig and, and a few other people, we're just doing ministry like we're helping out at Wanafest, and we're doing a few things, getting to know people, but literally nothing else is going on. And so Laura, Craig, and I, we decide we're going to drive down to Illinois to these people that Craig knows called Bogie and Brenda Bogier. And they live in central Illinois. He is doing ministry at a local church in central Illinois. And we end up at their house, and through conversation and prayer, it turns out that they start getting this sense from God that God wants them, the two of them, to quit the dream job and ministry that they had. And I'm telling you, it was a dream job something that they'd always wanted to do. And they had this house on this little, it wasn't a lake, but it was a small, it was basically like a large pond with a second house. And the reason that second house on this property was important is because their whole dream, their whole life, they are people that love people like crazy. They just love on people. And one of the things that they wanted to do is they wanted to have a second place, maybe in their house or a separate building. And in this case, it was a separate building where they could house pastors and their spouses for free if they just needed a retreat for a couple of days. And they would cook for them. They would provide for them. They'd even do their laundry. They would just let them do nothing if they wanted to. And they would provide this space for free. It was in the woods next to this pond. Beautiful property. And this is where they were at. In other words, they were living their dream. And they got this sense from God that Bogey was supposed to quit his job for no good reason, sell their property, put all their possessions into storage, and move to Wanakee and live in an apartment and get some odd jobs here and there, whatever they could find to work on, to help get this church here in Dane County and and Wanakee started. They did it for one year because that's what God asked them to do. Now, let me just tell you, that makes no sense. Worldly speaking, when people look at that and they say, you have your dream job, you have unbelievable friends, I've met some of them, and they're the kind of friends, you know those kind of friends that they would literally die for you? Those are the kind of friendships that they had in Illinois. Their house is a dream, right? Not because of the size and scope of it, but because they were doing exactly what they thought God created them to do at this place. And then God said, yep, would you give it all up and move up to Wanakee and help this random pastor who has no clue what he's doing plant a new church in Wanakee? And they did. And they were here for a year. And guess what is happening, by the way, with Bogey and Brenda now? They now live in Indiana. And just literally this last fall, September, I think it was September, maybe October, I can't remember. September, October, they launched a brand new church in Indiana. So now they came to help plant a church, and now they've planted a church. Amazing. But it makes no sense that they would do that. God regularly calls us to do things that make no sense. And so let me encourage you. Your response sometimes is going to be, It's not a good time. God, I'm tired. 
I'm wrestling with this. I'm emotionally spent. Or this makes no sense, God. You want me to give up my job and I'm not sure what I'm getting into? That Brent guy sounds pretty crazy. (laughs) And you want us to move to Wisconsin. It makes no sense. When God calls you to do these things, though, let me just encourage you. It'll be scary, but it'll be so good for you. And it'll be so good for somebody else. Because God knows what he's doing. So now let me go back to the story and let's wrap it up. How does this end? Jesus says, Simon, I want you to go out into the lake and put out deep water and throw your nets in. And Simon's like, okay, so listen to what happens. Okay, let's go back to his response and then we'll read the rest of the story. Master, Simon replied. (laughs) Simon, notice Simon's trying to be nice. (laughs) We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. In other words, Jesus, this makes no sense and I'm tired and I'm done. I don't want to do this, but listen to his response, his next phrase. But... If you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Just so that we're clear, that's the response that we need to have to to Jesus, to God. I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. This is their business partners. Remember that other boat? Right? And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please forgive me. Please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, listen to his response. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Peter knew, Andrew knew, James and John knew, these four fishermen knew that they had just gotten past their excuses. And as a result, Jesus did a miracle in their life. This just doesn't happen. You don't fish all night finding nothing and then Jesus goes out in the middle of the day in the deepest part where their nets can't reach and they throw the nets in in some random place in the lake and then they pull in more fish than they'd ever caught in their life. They've, they know they're in the presence of somebody who can do something they've never seen before. And notice their response. They get back and they immediately left everything and followed Jesus. <clears throat> So what does this mean for us, for you and I? It's simple. We're moving into summer. You guys notice that, right? (laughs) The sun's actually out. It's above 70. (laughs) We're excited. And what that means for us in Wisconsin is we hit it hard. We go camping. We are going to grill out. We're going to find the boat. We're going to get out on the lake. We're going we're gonna to get the brats. We're going to get the hot dogs going. We're going to get the steaks going. We're going to play, you know, can jam. We're going to play bags, cornhole, whatever you want to call it. That's weird, but whatever you call it, right? We're going to do all this stuff, and we're going to meet with people. We're going to actually get to know our neighbors again. We're going to learn their names again. Hey, we haven't seen you in eight months. It's awesome. What's your name again? Awesome. And by the end of the summer, you're going to be best friends. And then next year, we'll do it all over again, right? That's what we do. But let me just tell you, okay? 
Let me just encourage you. You are going to have opportunity that you have not had during the winter to involve your life with people and with kids and with neighbors and with friends, and you're going to travel and you're going to see family. Let me just encourage you to do something this summer. Don't use that just for recreation and enjoy the wonderful, beautiful day. Use the time that you've been given to invest in these people intentionally and point them to Jesus. When you're around the campfire, don't just hack it up and share about s'mores and all kind of stuff, whatever the case is. Yes, you should hang out. Yes, I'm going to be doing all this too. Laura and I, we have all kinds of plans this summer. But I hope that you would understand that we will do this and I want you guys to be encouraged to do this. God is giving you the opportunity to hang out around fires and eat s'mores and be on the boat with people because Jesus loves them. And you might be the only connection, the only bridge to these people, to Jesus, that they will have. Let me encourage you. When God gives you the opportunity to spend time and hang out with people this summer, use it for more than just hanging out. Share with them who you are what you believe, who Jesus is to you. Again, don't bring it up weird and be like, you know, this marshmallow reminds me of the time when Jesus was in a boat with some fishermen and there's this... Don't be weird. Don't be weird. Right? But when you're at the fire, when you're hanging out, when you're having conversations, you and I both know it is very simple to bring up who you are and what you do on the weekends. Just like Ashley shared the other day, right? When she says how she invites people to church, she says, we just talk about what we're doing on the weekend. And I make sure every time to say, oh, I'm also going to church on Sunday. That's usually the first thing that she says. Oh, and by the way, we're doing this concert and we're going here and we're going to hit the boat and we're going to do the lake and all this. Awesome. But she makes sure that she mentions we're going to church because that always brings it up. And like, oh, well, where do you go to church? Oh, this is where I go to church. Oh, that's awesome. Why do you do that? Because God is everything to me. Oh, it's simple. We don't have to make it complicated. We don't have to make it weird. You don't have to make a connection with your graham cracker. Look, I think I see Jesus if you turn it this way in the light. Yeah, I've read all those posts online too. Weird. Don't be weird about it. Just be normal. But be intentional. Don't hide it. Use the summer for good. Can we do that? That's what Jesus calls us to. All right, let's pray.